Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you are uh, some of our guests, we're especially glad you're here. We hope you will stick around after services. Let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. If you want to grab a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are working our way through this uh, book that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, through a series of lessons that we're calling Basic Christianity, just the core basic elements of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. We come to the concluding verses of chapter 1 this morning. We saw last week, verses 15 through 19, a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for these Christians in Ephesus. And it's certainly a prayer that is applicable for us today as well, that we would receive that God, having given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of Him, verse 17, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might, which brings us to our text for this morning, verses 20 through 23. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. Hear now the word of the true and living God. That He, that is God, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and having put all things under His feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, help us to come to know Christ better this morning. His superiority and supremacy over all things, especially over things in the spiritual realm. Grow our faith, deepen our love for Him, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. I think just about most of us, maybe all of us, take medication in one form or another, at one time or another. And you get medication, and sometimes you get medication, and it'll say on the label, the directions for use, and it'll say something like, do not mix with, and then it'll have a list of things that you're not supposed to mix that medication with, right? Uh, or talk to your doctor before you take this, if you are taking this and such. You do not mix. You don't mix certain medications with other medications or other things, right? And the Christian religion is kind of like that. It comes with do not mix instructions. Christ being superior over everything. Christ being Lord over all there is no need, nor should we seek to mix Christ with anything else. Christ mixed with anything else is too much. You don't mix Christ or the Christian religion with anything else. And that is because Christ is the only one who ever predicted his own death, fulfilled it to the T, and then was raised from the dead as he had predicted. Christ is the only one, having been resurrected, who has ascended back to the Father's right hand. He is the one that we are to listen to for everything and in all things. 
And when someone else or something else does that, well, then maybe just maybe we'll consider giving that our undivided devotion and attention and worship. But in the meantime, seeing as how Christ is the only one who has done that, He is the only one worthy of our devotion and worship and attention in all things. He is the one, therefore, who as Lord can tell us how we are to live our life in accordance with how God would have us to live our life. Now, there is a connection here that no doubt you've probably heard as we were working our way through our reading this morning. Paul, as we left off last week in verse 19, talks about this immeasurable greatness of God's power. God's power alone is just off the charts. But then you add to that the greatness of His power, but even more than that, the immeasurable greatness of His power, and now we're talking about something that just our minds can't comprehend. He worked that power and is at work working that power in us who believe according to His power, we see in verse 19. But it's that same power that is at work in the resurrection of Christ. Verse 20, He worked uh, that power in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that's a miracle. Uh, It is something only God can do. And he did it by exercising his power to raise Christ from the dead. And it's the same power that's at work in the resurrection of Christ that is at work to raise dead sinners back to life. In fact, uh, when we get to 2 verse 1 next week, we're going to see Paul walks us through what I call the carnival of filth of our former lives to say, uh, look, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, great in his mercy, great in his grace, made us alive together with Christ. Uh, And so we were dead, and God worked His power, and now we're no longer dead, but we have been granted new spiritual life in Christ Jesus. And so uh, that same power that raised Christ is the same power that's at work in the church, in Christians, in, in saints, the saints of God. But also, don't miss this, He also exercised that same power in raising Christ from the dead and seating Him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, after Christ was risen from the dead, he was here for 40 days, he continued to teach his disciples during those days. At the end of those 40 days, he is taken up to heaven. He ascends back to the Father's right hand in the clouds, is the language that's used. This is Acts chapter 1. And so here's Paul talking about that event. He has gone back to heaven. He is seated now at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. This is a, a text here. Every time you run across this phrase, seated at the right hand of God, that is what's called an echo or an allusion to a text in the Old Testament, Psalm 110 and verse 1, where the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Sitting at the right hand, that is what Christ does now. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is continuing his uh, intercessory work on our behalf. Uh, that is, he continues to plead his case, not our own case. We have no case to plead, seeing as how we are sinners ourselves. But Christ, being the perfect Lord, the risen Lord, he pleads his case. But this is also a position of authority. In their time, uh, when there was a, a monarch or a king, the right hand, that, that was a position of authority. We even have a, a phrase that's akin to that. That's his right-hand man, right? That's the person who's closest to him. Well, Christ is, is not just a right-hand man. He is co-equal with God, and that right-hand position is a sign of his position of authority. And so he is seated at the right hand, that is the right hand of God, in the heavenly places, 
But notice this, in the heavenly places, he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. These four terms, very interesting terms, uh, they, they have to do with, there's some debate about uh, exactly what is signified in rule or in authority or in power dominion. But just about everyone is in agreement that what Paul is doing here as he's writing to these Christians, he's leaning into their cultural context. Town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was a place that was steeped in witchcraft, pagan idol worship, uh, the dark arts, the occult. A lot of that was going on in their day. A lot of uh, divination, a lot of ritualistic type cults. And what these folks would do in the city whenever they needed guidance on the future or on their destiny or what was going to happen or they needed some kind of instruction, what they would do is they would go see the local witch uh, craft practitioner. They'd go and they would have uh, uh, a divination session. They would practice these dark arts. In fact, the phrase here, every name that is named, uh, one scholar's name is uh, Clinton Arnold, he's gone back into some of the uh, magical papyri, these, these ancient texts from back then that had to do with magic and incantation, things like that. And one of the things that he found was, this is, this is Paul taking that straight from their own lexicon, their own language of every name that is named uh, in order to communicate the superiority of Christ. The, the naming of the name, that was a very specific magical practice. If you needed help with your health, you named a specific name. Of a, of a deity or angelic being or something like that. If you needed help with your finances and wealth, you named a certain name that would help you with that. And if you needed help in any area of life, there was a certain name for that. Right? Uh, you need help with your children or having children, there's a name for that. And so you would name the name in order to call upon that particular deity or that particular angelic being in order to help you in that area. Paul is saying, brothers, sisters, there is no need for any of that. You don't need to name any name uh, in any of these pagan religions. And all these rule, authority, dominion, principalities, that's all language for supernatural spiritual beings, in particular fallen angelic beings. We're talking about the powers of darkness, spiritual forces of darkness. What Paul is working to get across to his brothers and sisters and to us today is Christ is superior over all that. He is greater than all the spiritual forces of darkness. While there are certain shades of meaning to rule, authority, dominion, and power, I think Paul's just pulling all those words together to say, you pull all the spiritual forces of darkness, you get them all together, and guess who's far greater and superior to all of them? Jesus. You want to talk about names? Get all the names you want. Every name that can be named. And guess which name is greater than all of them? Jesus. Paul is leaning into their cultural context to say, you already have Jesus. You have the greatest thing of all. You have the one who is Lord of all, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Not only right in the here and now, but if we were to get access to the age that is to come, the future age, he's greater than all that too. There is no one who is greater or more powerful than Jesus in the spiritual realm. 
And, you know, we, we look at this stuff, and we think about the cultural context, the ancient Near East, and we think, oh, these people are so backward. Good thing none of us do that today, right? Good thing no one's doing that today. Well, the reality is there are still people that do this. In the Yoruba area over in Africa, there is a pagan witchcraft cult called Ifa. And in Ifa, it is a ritualistic cult. They still practice divination. They have divination plates, and they have all kinds of practices that go along with that. And they, it, is, it is a religion intent on communicating with the spiritual realm in an effort to identify and discover your own destination, your own destiny, and, and what's going to happen with your life. Yeah, but that's, that's way over there. Why, why are you bringing up uh, Ifa anyway? Oh, it is true. It's, it's over there. One thing I found very interesting, and this comes from Vody Bauckham Jr. in his book, Fault Lines. Uh, in, in one of the sections there, he talks about the founders of Black Lives Matter, how they have been open with their practice of witchcraft. In a June 2020 video call, Patrice Kohler and L.A. Black Lives Matter chapter founder Dr. Melina Abdullah discussed how they channel spirits to accomplish their objectives using the Yoruba religion of Ifa, which involves all the things I've talked about, including ancestral worship. Kohler's herself said it this way, In my tradition, you offer things that your loved one who passed away would want, whether it's like honey or tobacco, things like that. It's so important, not just for us, to be in direct relationship with our people who have passed, but also for them to know we've remembered them. I believe so many of them work through us. The more things change, the more they stay the same. This stuff still goes on today, even in an organization as well-known in recent headlines as Black Lives Matter. The, the, one of the co-founders is practicing this kind of stuff. It's also why they emphasize saying the names of the deceased. You may have seen, say his name, say her name, say their name. That's a, that's a form of naming the names. It's integral to their ancestral worship. This stuff hasn't gone away. It just gets redefined or renamed or rebranded, and it's still here with us. And the Holy Spirit, through the Word, is still saying, Jesus is greater he is still far above all rule, authority, dominion, and power. Every name that can be named. I also get asked about things like ghosts and, and demons and things like that. As a minister, people, people want to know about that. And it, it, young people, old people, everyone in between, doesn't matter. A lot of people want to know about things like ghosts. And I've, I've, I remember one time I was in my office and I took a phone call. This was years ago when I, uh, we lived in Arizona. I took a phone call. I was on the phone for an hour with this guy who was convinced that he had a little red devil that was running around his house and was on the shower spigot and was behind the sofa and things like that. And we kind of had an interesting conversation. Uh, also, uh, we were still in Arizona, very interesting. Uh, one of the members, uh, she invited us over to talk to her sisters, one of her sisters, was a medium who claimed to be able to communicate with uh, the dead and had even said that she had uh, helped local law enforcement track down uh, a body of, of someone that she'd seen the face in a mirror uh, at one point, if I remember the story correctly. 
What about this stuff? Now, this stuff still goes on today. I'm sure they had it in their day. We have it in our day. My initial advice to everybody is when it comes to witchcraft and uh, communication with the dead and the dark arts and spells and magic and Ouija boards and all that, my first initial advice is always stay away from that stuff, all right? Uh, You don't need that stuff. Uh, There are very real spiritual forces of darkness who are in back of that, and last time I checked, they are at war with us. They, they, don't, they don't like us. They will masquerade and pretend to help us, but really it's a deception because they want us not to think about God, not to think about Christ. They want us focused on them. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19, we have this call from God Himself. He says, uh, they will say to you, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? These are rhetorical questions anticipating negative responses. No! No, You don't need to inquire of the dead. You don't need to inquire of any of these uh, spiritual practices. Shouldn't you inquire of the Lord? Yeah, yeah, we should. We should put our full faith and trust. And, And here's the thing. When you engage in witchcraft and magic and dark arts and the occult and and Ouija boards, you're contacting something. I don't think it's what you think it is. Because these spiritual forces of darkness, they masquerade as familiars, as, as spirits that are familiar with the person that you're trying to contact. And so they'll put on the mask and they'll pretend to be a deceased relative or something like that. When in reality, it's not that dead relative. It's... It's a, it's a demon, it's a, it's a fallen angel, it's something other than, and it's a, it's a deception, it's a con. And that's because ultimately this has its root in the father of lies, the devil himself. And so, if you go knocking on the devil's door long enough, don't be surprised at who answers. That's why I say, stay away from that stuff. We have no reason, no business with it, no reason to be a part of it. Why? Because Christ is far better and far above all that stuff. Christ has uh, triumphed over the spiritual forces of darkness. We get this in Colossians chapter 1. Excuse me, Colossians chapter 2. We start reading in verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's the same, same words that's used over there in Ephesians 1. And now he's talking about spiritual forces of darkness also here. He's disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. That is, in the cross. You see, when Christ goes to the cross, he is... Dealing with our sin problem, absolutely. And by His blood, He's washing away, forgiving all of our sins. But He's also defeating all the powers of darkness. The devil himself. This is why He is far greater, far above. And if Christ has triumphed over all those, and He's he's seated far above all of them, then why would we pursue those lesser things? Also, if He's far greater than all of them, what do we have to fear from them? Right? Someone uh, 
someone who's involved in this kind of stuff, maybe tries to put a, a, a ritualistic hex or curse on someone uh, who's a Christian, doesn't touch me. Because I claim the name of Christ. And all those demons, they, they know. They, they believe in God. Not a saving faith, by the way. They believe and they shudder. They tremble at the name of Jesus. Now, disclaimer, you'll see a lot of guys out there saying, you know, you, now you go out there and you tell, I rebuke you, and all this stuff, right? No, no, no. That's, that's okay, if, if we're trying to swing the pendulum one way, you end up swinging it too far the other way, okay? Uh, we, I, I'm, just, I'm just a speck of dust, right? I, I'm a frail creature of dust. I don't have any authority in and of myself. And, and that's especially because Jesus himself says, he has all authority in heaven on earth. Even Michael the archangel, we're told this in Jude, a little bit of revelation here from uh, the Holy Spirit to Jude. In the little book of Jude, the New Testament postcard, he tells us that even Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil over the body of Moses, even Michael the archangel, and, and by the way, he's not just an angel, he's an archangel, even he refused to rebuke the devil himself. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So when it comes to these spiritual forces of darkness, again, I'm, I'm not saying now, all right, now you go out and you say, I, 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 no, 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 no. Who are you? Who am I, right? It's Jesus. It's Christ who is greater than all these things. And since I bear his name, I don't have to worry about uh, any witch doctors, voodoo, any of that stuff, because Christ is greater. This is why, through the gospel, we call people, we, uh, even uh, founders of Black Lives Matter or the people who are over in the Yoruba region of Africa, we call all people, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and put your faith and your trust in Christ. He's greater than all this stuff. He can provide us freedom from sin, death, hell, the grave, and also from these spiritual forces of darkness. That doesn't mean the war goes away, by the way. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, look, we're still at war with these spiritual forces of darkness. And there's a way to wage war against them, and we'll talk about that. And it has to do with putting on the full armor of God and all that. But in the meantime, suffice it to say, he is greater. He is, he is superior to all of those rules, authorities, principalities, powers, all that. And I want to impress, Paul was impressing upon his Audience, I want to impress it upon you as well that Christ is over all of that. And, verse 22, He put all things under His feet. That is, God, the Father, put all things under Christ's feet. This is another echo, another allusion, perhaps even a quotation, from Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Uh, and... Uh, this is now being applied to Christ, that Christ is the one who is crowned with glory and honor, and, and He's the one who now has all things are in subjection to Him. This is a text that's quoted elsewhere in, in Scripture. And, and what is being communicated here, he's, he's put all these things under His feet. All of Christ's enemies, all of the, everything that's said against Him, is being brought into subjection to Him. And, and history is the story of how God is putting all things under Christ's feet. And time and again, you, you can see in history how God has done that. Very early on, the Roman Empire, not a friend to Christianity, and, and brought persecution 
and brought oppression upon the church and sought to burn the Bible and tried to do its best to rub out Christianity, and yet Christianity survived and, in fact, has continued on. The kingdom of Christ has continued on even to today while the Roman Empire has been relegated to the pages of history. That enemy was brought under subjection to Christ. And so he's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, I know this is a text that sometimes is pointed to as Christ being head over the church, but that's not exactly what it says. He is head of his church. You get that in Ephesians chapter 5 in particular, specifically stated there. But here, notice, he is head over all things to his church. You see, that's the reason Christ, all things are under his feet. That's the reason why he's Lord over everything. He's head over all things to the church for the benefit of his church, which as we'll find out when we get to chapter 5, that's his bride. And so he he is at work uh, overriding and he's in control of everything to the benefit and blessing of his church. Uh, Right here, the church is his body. Now that's uh, specifically stated here in verse 23. The fullness of him who fills all things, uh, who fills all in all. All things in all ways is, uh, is a way that could be translated as well. <clears throat> the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is his head, and he's head over all things for his body, uh, we see here. And it's a, it's a good thing to be able to claim Christ as our head. We live in times where uh, rebellion seems to be the norm, to, to throw off semblances of authority and, and uh, things like that. But for us, Christ being head of his body, that's a, that's a beautiful thing for us. We have a, a revelation here, which is the word of God, that shows us how we are to uh, live our lives in accordance with being the body of Christ. The other thing is, Christ only has one body. If he had two or three or multiple bodies, that would be a monstrosity. He only has one body, and he himself is the one head. So uh, the body being the church, and he has his church, he has his people, because that's what the church is. It's more than just brick and mortar, the building around us, right? This is merely the location where the church gathers on the first day of the week and at given times in order to honor Christ and honor God. But the church is made up of people. We, we are the church. And when the church leaves these walls and goes out into the world, we're going out into the mission field around us. Uh, and so uh, Christ has his, his church all over the, the world. He has people uh, in, in different nations and from different ethnicities. And he's redeemed people from every tribe, language, nation, people, every, every tongue Uh, every group uh, of people. He has people that He's redeemed by His blood the world over. And we rejoice and we celebrate that and, and, and are mindful of the fact that our brothers and sisters the world over, they gather together too to worship God. And we're part of that one body. Again, that's, that's a, a beautiful thing to think about. But that body, Paul says here, that's the fullness of Him who fills all in all church is the fullness 
of the one who fills all in all. He's the filler of everything. He himself lacks nothing, being God in himself, and yet we are the fullness. It's very interesting. We are the filler's fullness. Just to, to think about that for a moment. He's the one who fills all things, who fills everything, and and yet Christ is filled with his body. It's just, it's just a, a fascinating thing to, to consider. And yet at the same time, as we think about it, there's a sense in which Christ must have his church since we are the fullness of him. In himself, he lacks nothing, and yet there's a sense in which that he's incomplete without his people. Again, just a, a marvelous mystery to think about that the Redeemer fills himself by redeeming people. And we are that people that he has rescued and redeemed by his blood. And we are his fullness as well. A theologian from many, many years ago, he prayed, you have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in You. That's a good prayer. I think that's exactly right. We are restless until we find our rest in Christ. But also, in view of this verse here, we could also think of it this way. You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and Your heart is restless until we find rest in You. That there's a restlessness in God which is part of the reason why He came from heaven to earth to die on the cross. Why He sends the Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, but also to apply the completed work of Christ to His people, to set a people apart. At once, this verse, I think, brings about a level of humility. It ought to, hum it ought to humiliate us. We, we are humbled by the fact, wow, I... I'm the fullness of the filler, and at the same time, it offers dignity as well. Wow, I'm, we are His fullness. We're not just a, an afterthought. We're not just plan B. But this, this was the divine purpose from all eternity, and that is part of my purpose in this world as well. It provides significance. It provides meaning to who we are and, and what we do in this world. One more thing. We, we need this teaching today, that especially that Christ is, is head over all things to the church. Because it... <laughs> I don't want to be kind of what... Um, I don't want to engage in what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, right? Because I recognize that historically there have been a number of times when the church has suffered from uh, the world and from world powers and, and things like that. And, and there, there is a, a temptation to think, well, we're the only one this has happened to. It's not the case. Okay? We're just the folks who happen to be present right now that it's happening to. And what I'm talking about is uh, there it seems like increasingly there are uh, powers that are opposed to 
those who bear the name of Christ. That increasingly, there is more pressure from the world and from unbelievers upon those who bear the name of Jesus. Uh, What do I mean? I came across a story earlier this week of a... Uh, a minister up in Canada, pastor up in Canada of a church, who has essentially exiled himself and his family to Kenya from, from Canada. And it, it, it's rooted in, uh, remember several months ago when they had, their, they had their trucker protest thing up there in Canada? It's related to that. He was out there, he protested for a day, and as a result of that, the powers that be in Canada have brought the full weight of their authority upon this and, and others who participated in that protest. And they've specifically targeted him uh, because of his Christian belief. He spoke out against uh, the government uh, uh, and what they were doing with the, with the truckers and, and that sort of thing. And as a result, uh, the Canadian government has uh, threatened to strip him, he had a, a government clearance security, a government security clearance, and he also has a pension that the Canadian government has threatened to take away from him as well, threatened his livelihood and retirement. And so, uh, for the sake of his family, he has exiled himself. Uh, I'm not, I want to be clear, it's not that the government moved him out to Kenya, he removed himself and uh, has essentially exiled himself to Kenya. Uh, again, for the sake of his family. He's not the first one to do that. Go, go, uh, there's an interesting story about the Lykov family. They were a Russian family back in the 20s and 30s in Russia. And because of the religious persecution that they were facing, uh, the patriarch of the Lykov family took his family and they moved out into the Siberian tundra of Russia and lived just a, a very very austere life out there. And um, National Geographic ran a story about that several years ago, about the Lykoff family. Number one, if being a Christian were against the law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, now, you have to answer that in your own heart of hearts, okay? But the second thing is, when we are confronted, I don't know that it's if, I think it's when, But when we are confronted by the powers that be, because we bear the name of Christ. This is a verse I think each one of us needs to have ingrained in our memory. Man, it sure doesn't seem like he's head over all things to his church, but he is. We may not recognize how God is glorified when persecution is brought against Christians. Whether it's Russia decades ago or today in Canada. I'm talking about what our brothers and sisters are going through in China. I've mentioned that before. Or whether it comes right here to our own doorstep. God will be glorified. Even in the persecution that comes against His church. In fact, what often happens in the pages of the New Testament. When persecution comes... Against the church, that's often the time when the church grows in leaps and bounds. And if I'm not mistaken, that is also happening elsewhere in the world today. He is head over all things. Do we really believe that? 
Do we really believe he's head over all things for the benefit and for the blessing of his church? That's the question I leave with you. Let's commit this to prayer. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. None of the rule, authority, dominions, powers, none of them come even close to who you are and to what you are as God. And so we acknowledge your greatness and your majesty, and we thank you that you have put all things under the feet of Christ and that you are bringing every enemy into subjection to him. The last enemy will be death. And that you have given him all things on behalf of his church. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.